I just pray we could just let those things fade away in this moment, amen, and just really focus on what matters most, amen. There's a blessing here for you, amen, and I pray that you just reach out and grab what's yours tonight, amen. The Holy Spirit has good things in store for you, amen, no matter what happens in the world, no matter which way the world goes, I'm glad my Father owns it all anyways, amen. That gives me a comfort and a peace, amen, to keep pushing and pressing on, amen had that song on my heart. I hope you'll sing it with me. I'm going to keep pressing on. Amen. Key of F. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep pressing on. I'm going to keep pressing on to the higher calling of my I'm gonna keep pressing on. Oh, I'm gonna keep pressing on. I'm gonna keep pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. Sing the verse now. Satan tries to stop me and turn me aside. There's no need for you to go on. Why do you even try? Even if there was a rapture, you never make it in. I just keep on saying, saying it only proves you're a liar again. I'm gonna keep pressing. I'm gonna keep pressing on to the higher calling of my Lord. Sing it again now. I'm gonna keep pressing on. I'm gonna keep pressing on. I'm gonna keep pressing on to the higher calling. Pressing on with me, amen. Let's sing this song together. I stand in all of you, Key of F. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension. Like nothing ever seen or heard Who can grasp your infinite wisdom Who can fathom the depths of your love And you are beautiful beyond description Majesty and and I stand, I stand in all of you. Oh, I stand. I 
folks when you're gone some of the mention to mention those uh we have brother peter that's out of town for work uh, related issues amen also the wards we want to remember them in prayer are not with us tonight pritchards uh, are not present with us keep them in your prayers remember the jackson family in prayer and sister caroline 
Amen. And the condition she's going through, we certainly, our heart goes out to her and our prayers are with her. We just ask that you would remember her in prayer. Amen. Um, I want to remember Brother Keith Buchanan in prayer. He is not feeling well. Um, I ask that you remember my Aunt Sherry, Sister Holly. Remember her in prayer. She tested positive for the virus. Amen. She's very ill, and if we just, she certainly needs a touch from the Lord. So we covet your prayers. Amen. Um, remember Brother David Whitlock's sister. Amen. She had to have emergency surgery. Very uh, serious issue there. So if we would remember Brother David Whitlock's sister in prayer. Amen. Especially. Uh, Brother Matt Cross also is not with us at this time. If you'll keep him in your prayers. Amen. We have a good report uh, for Sister Connie Hughes uh, and the healing of her eyes. Amen. So we just want to thank God for touching her. Keep her in your prayers. Amen. That's all I have at this time. I'd like to invite Brother John Reynolds to come forward and take these needs to the Lord for us. Amen. If you have special unspoken needs on your heart amen god knows that need friend i see you when you raise your hands time after time amen whatever that is we're praying for you amen wherever you may be come down brother johnny i'd just like to take a minute and tell you um i've been facing a pretty serious heart surgery and I talked to a thoracic surgeon today and he said that his best advice would be to wait and keep checking the the issue uh, enlargement of my aorta and at some other time if it gets larger then they'll think about going and doing the surgery but I thank the Lord for that it's uh, laying on a metal table for 7 to 12 hours. The machine's breathing for you and pumping your blood. It's <laughs> it's kind of like seeing a casket open because you never know what's going to happen. But God's brought me through that kind of surgery twice and I, I just want to thank Him for sparing me right now. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you tonight, Lord, unworthy, but washed in your blood, Father. We pray for those of our church family that are not able to come tonight, Lord, those that are traveling and those that are sick, Lord. I place my hands upon each one of the names, Lord, that have been brought before us tonight. We pray, God, that we know that you know, but we just want to ask you for each one of them, Lord, that you would come and meet the needs, Lord. May your power infuse their bodies, Lord, and your spirit lift them up. May each family know that you're the one that brought the answer to them, Lord, and the healing. Father, we thank you for this congregation and this time, this special time that we have, Lord, to come to you in the middle of the week and just learn a little bit more about you, Father. We want to commune with you and, excuse me, may your your spirit anoint the service and each one that has a part, Lord. May you anoint the word to our heart and yes. help us to be thankful, Lord. We just love you, Father. We thank you. May you bless each 
each raised hand, Lord, tonight, those thoughts and those prayers, Lord, that are going out. Help us, Lord. May you meet those needs, and we just trust you and thank you, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Johnny. You can have your seats for a few moments. Amen. Just before we invite our pastor to come, let's sing a little song together. Amen. His strength is perfect. Key of F. His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. And Our humble cry 
God's kingdom and spread his gospel around the world and printing the message. Amen. We know that we're part of that. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful to be part of that. Aren't you? Amen. So let's remember to be faithful in all things such as that. Amen. As our pastor comes, why don't we sing this song together? I sing praises to your name. Key of G, please. I sing praises to your name. Oh Lord, praises to your name. Oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. tonight. Welcome to the house of the Lord. It's certainly good to have you uh, with us tonight. Good to have everybody here that's here uh, tonight. Uh, Steve says that he doesn't want to be mentioned in the service, so we're not going to mention him, but we're glad to have uh, all of our visitors and guests and uh, all of you that are here. So may the Lord bless you. Sister Shirley, good to have you here uh, tonight. We missed you. And uh, for those of you that made the effort, and I know some of you have a very early start in the day, um, I appreciate you coming and being here tonight, and I trust that you'll get your money's worth when you leave tonight. So may God bless you. 
Now, I'd like to tell that testimony again, Brother Johnny, if you don't mind. All right? I'll tell it my way. And ministers sometimes are good at the art of exaggeration. But let me tell you this. Well, we'll call it this. In the art of enthusiasm. Okay? We were praying for Brother Johnny, and I mentioned that need on Sunday, and he has that uh, heart condition that he's wrestled with for a long time. And the problem is, is that with a tricuspid valve situation, the aorta becomes larger than it should be. And they have to go in and operate and uh, deal with that. And I said, you know, uh, when he came up on Sunday for prayer, and I said, uh, you know, maybe just in God's sovereign way, now he winds up over here going to a different team of specialists and look at it, and they look at it, and they say, you know what, uh, by, the, by the standard, he's due for an operation. But the doctor said, no, let's just hold on. Let's just wait and we watch this. And to me, that was an answer to prayer because I was hoping he would not have to, you know, uh, go right into such a major surgery and, and uh, as he described there. So I consider that an answer to prayer, and I told him that when he texted me this morning, and uh, I'm just very thankful for that. So if you don't mind, let's just continue to pray that he doesn't have to do that surgery, and uh, the Lord has ways of uh, taking care of all of those things for us. Whoever thought we'd wind up in an election's aftermath like we are, whoever thought we would wind up like that, I did. I don't know about you, but I did. And uh, we, you know, uh, at the beginning of this, and as the quotes I gave you, you know, the best thing to do is just to commit it into God's hands. Let me tell you, God's in control. Now, in the words of someone great who understands and studies this whole thing, Brother Noah Cockman, he said uh, to, to us last night, he said, if, if President Trump wins, he said, every, it will all be good or everything will be okay. And if uh, the other side wins, he said, then we'll all go to heaven. So, uh, if, hey, listen, uh, we're winners either way, right? So we just the best thing to do is just to entrust it into God's hands and uh, just, just let him take it. Just let him take it. Nothing can be done now to change anything. We're just going to let him take it. And, and uh, trust God for the future. I mean, that's what we were doing before the election. That's what we have to do after the election, right? Our faith is not in our human government. Our faith is in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so we should never lose sight of that, never lose confidence that you have a greater King that's watching over us. All right? Everybody agree with that? Let's say amen. amen. I'd like to ask you to remember uh, the Smith family, brother and sister Smith, we certainly miss them, uh, and they stay in touch, and I know Brother Andy stays in touch with them. And, uh, you know, just being alone so long and being out of sync and out of fellowship, I know they're listening tonight, and that's great, and we we're glad to have that. Uh, but, uh, we, you know, if you have a moment you want to communicate with them, I know that they would appreciate that very much. We're glad to have the streaming and Brother Jeremy and the work that his crew does, and uh, the, you know, Brother Tom is monitoring the parking lot tonight uh, from where he is, and we appreciate that, Brother Tom, and uh, just getting back on his uh, feet again or on his knees. And uh, we're glad to um, be able to provide that service. Uh, Sister Karen uh, sent me a note today about her daughter, Caitlin, uh, who's in, in the hospital, and she's still in the hospital, right? Uh, she is expecting and uh, is having some complications with uh, di her diabetes, uh, blood pressure, and uh, a premature possibility. So we're, we're just praying that uh, with the family that uh, things slow down just a little bit and uh, the baby will come to a more full term. Uh, so we'd ask you to remember that. I had a picture sent to me from somebody 
uh, here in the church who showed me that there was, um, over in the fellowship hall, there were uh, a sink full of dishes over there. And I thought, shame, shame, shame. Um, we're, we're at this point, really, we're not using the fellowship hall. Well, somebody is, but we're officially not using the fellowship hall. But if somebody goes in and ha, you know does something in the fellowship hall, we'd appreciate you taking care of business over there, so that uh, the maintenance crowd don't have to do it. And uh, so, just thought I'd throw that out there. We were able today to uh, dispatch $5,000 for Bibles to Zimbabwe. Did you get that uh, envelope? He's got the envelope. And uh, Brother Aaron's been an absolute great help in this whole endeavor uh, because we were searching and searching and searching for a way to uh, channel funds down to Zimbabwe. Not very easy for an outsider. He's an insider. And uh, today we were uh, chatting back and forth, and so we're able to channel it through him to the uh, brothers down there and uh, be able to get Bibles moving pretty quickly because they're already in the country. The Bibles are, and they can purchase them right there and get them, begin to get them distributed, and that's a great blessing. So I tell people what we require as a result of giving the offering for the Bibles is pictures. So uh, we're going to be looking for that. And in this whole process, we're working on uh, printing particular books for uh, Zimbabwe, and they'll be in English. And then we're also at the same time, because they're neighbors, we're, we're looking at a connection for printing in Malawi. It's all kinds of believers, hundreds of thousands of believers in Malawi. So this is really exciting. And I just sent a letter before church uh, in relation to that. They have three different teams of translators there. We're trying to get them to pull together and work all that uh, out so that we're not duplicating the effort and uh, getting things rolling down there. It's, it's exciting. Now, let me show you this. I just received these today uh, from the courier. This is adoption. And this is in the Bemba language. This is Daniel's 70 weeks. And this is in the Bemba language. This is the church age book in the Bemba language. This is the seven seals. And this is in the Bemba language. All of these are on a boat destined for Zambia. If those folks over there can get excited about the two books we sent over there, they're, they're going to be uh, raptured prematurely by the time they get those books in. I, they've never had material in their language. They've never had anything to read, just maybe stuff on, you know, on the laptop if you're near the Internet over there. And uh, these are the people in the back country, and uh, let me tell you, that's, that's just going to be a real blessing to them. But I got these today. I'm going to put them in the lobby there if you want to flip through them and read them. You're certainly welcome to do that. Um, but it's uh, just a great blessing to be able to do that. And, you know, for, for something like this, for 86 cents a piece, that's, that's pretty good. That's amazing. And uh, so we're just delighted to be able to do that. We're working with uh, Brother Anwar now and uh, working out uh, details, shady details about uh, shipments uh, into Pakistan. Not shady, but uh, let me tell you, it's a challenge for sure to get Christian material into a uh, anti-Christian country. So uh, we're, we're working overtime just to try to get that done. But, hey, hey it's exciting. And uh, Brother Amber says they're so excited about the possibility of having this done and uh, looking forward to it. So we're, I just wanted to show you that, and I'll put those in the lobby so you can take a look at them after church. Let's stand to our feet tonight. And um, 
As you may have noticed, Brother Jason DeMars is with us tonight, and uh, we are honored to have him. He's on his way up to western Pennsylvania, not to count ballots, but uh, he's on his way up there to, uh, to minister up there with uh, Brother Jim Shoemake. Uh, and for those of you that are, uh, you know, uncertain, I did talk to Brother Mike Walls today in Washington, and I said, Brother Mike, if you don't mind, could you step in and see if you can settle this whole matter up there? And, and uh, Brother Mike says it's a little harder than you think to get that done, but um, uh, we're, we're appreciative of having uh, Brother Jason with us tonight. And Brother Jason uh, travels a lot normally, under normal circumstances, travels a lot, especially in uh, Islamic nations and uh, nations where they speak Farsi, the language. And uh, so due to the virus, it's very difficult to try to get anywhere. So uh, we're uh, honored to have him tonight and his wife and family. Uh, good to have them here with us. Uh, you remember, uh, and just the last thing here, uh, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, I went to Zambia and or I went somewhere. And on the way, I stopped in Nairobi, Kenya. And I think I showed you a picture of the pastor there who I'd known for years. His name was Brother Obadiah Kamwadi. And um, spent several hours with him. Uh, and we were talking about translation and different things there and ministry in his church. And uh, just yesterday, his wife passed away due to the virus. And she was hospitalized. She had a number of other health complications as well. Uh, but she passed away yesterday in the hospital, and so I sent him a note and our, on our behalf, uh, just expressing our concern for him and uh, his family. One of his daughters actually lives here in Boston, and um, uh, if you don't mind, just to ask you to remember that family in prayer, that's uh, it's a great loss uh, for them. Have your way. Let's sing that this, this evening. Sorry to take so long. We're going to invite Brother Jason to come and... Uh, <clears throat> You just pull on the gift. It's not about the personality or the man who stands here. It's about the Holy Spirit that operates through that man. And so you want to connect with that, all right? Even if that person you know doesn't know you, it gives you a chance for him to speak to things that you don't have any, he doesn't have any idea what's going on in your life. But the Holy Spirit does. You have to believe that. And God always has answers. Let's sing this this evening here. Have your way. Your man standing here and you have your bride sitting there. 
Lord, I pray you'd bring the two together, Lord. May your Holy Spirit just connect with every heart and every soul. Those that are listening tonight, Lord, we think of those up in Virginia and Brother David and his family, Lord, and Sister Becky and Lucas and Brother Fulcher, and we commit them to you. And, Lord, every need that's represented among us and just so many things, Lord, that often don't get spoken, but, Father, you know the heart's cry. And I pray tonight that you would just minister to each and every need, each and every soul. For us who have come out here tonight, Lord, may we leave enriched and blessed. And we commit the people to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One more time. Have your way. Appreciate the opportunity, Brother Barry. I appreciate your ministry. It's always been a great inspiration to me and the missions work that you've done and work with the family. And um, just just very grateful for God sending you to the bride. So we're going to speak on the subject, Knowing God. And the scripture will open up as John 17, verse 3. We'll read that and then we'll pray. And we're not going to speak on the Godhead tonight when we're talking about knowing God. We're going to look at the attributes of God. Not so much dealing with us as His attributes, but dealing with God's attributes or characteristics of what makes Him God. John 17 verse 3 says this, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you'd quicken to our hearts. We ask that you'd speak to us personally, Lord. In this hour and this day that we're living in, Lord, take this, take this word and make it absolutely relevant to every heart. May it, may it come as a great supernatural revelation to all of us. Lord, I just want to move myself out of the way. And I pray each believer and those listening on the live stream would also move themselves out of the way that your spirit would flow through each of us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're, like I said, we're going to look at the characteristics or the attributes of God. A characteristic means a feature or a quality identifying a person or a thing. An attribute means a quality or feature regarded as a characteristic or inherent part of someone or something. We want to know God in truth. 
as he truly and genuinely declares himself through Scripture. We don't want to, we don't want to go into this in ignorance. Because God has given us his word, he's brought us the message, and there's not an excuse to be ignorant anymore. We need to know who he really is. Jeremiah 9:23 and 24. And you know, I've got about 45 minutes here. I've got 17 pages of notes. Either I'm going to go really, really fast and no one's going to understand anything, or I'm not going to make it through everything. So probably B. So, um, <laughs> yeah, B. Uh, but we're going to go quickly. So if you don't get there in time, forgive me, because I've got 25, 30 plus scriptures here. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercised loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Let him, if you have something to glory about, it's not in yourself. It's not in your abilities. It's not in uh, your good behavior. What it is is glorying that you know and understand the Lord. That is the greatest privilege that you're going to have in this life and the life that is to come. There's nothing greater than that. It's wonderful to know who you are in Christ but the greatest thing is knowing Him. That is eternal life. Eternal life is not knowing yourself. Eternal life is knowing Him. That's the scripture that we read first. We, we've got to know Him personally. Psalms 139, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Knowing who God is, knowing His sovereignty, knowing His attributes, we have to start right there and say, it is too wonderful for me. It's, it is high. It is not something you achieve with your own powers of study. It's something that is by grace revealed to you. Isaiah 6. And we're going to read 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. I want to take a moment to talk about a little bit about the history there. King Uzziah was a, a great and important king in Judah. He did a lot of restoration with the temple and with temple worship. However, Uzziah got lifted up with pride in his heart over what he did, his accomplishments, his riches, and the blessings that God gave to him because he was walking in obedience. And that he became lifted up in that, and he went and tried to offer 
a sacrifice or uh, offer incense, which he had no right to offer, in the temple. He was he was then struck with leprosy and he had to live separately uh, from everyone else uh, in in his uh, temp or his uh, palace area. And so. This is significant that Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died. In that year, it was a time of mourning. Generally, in the, in the, 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 their kingdom in that time, there was a year of mourning and then there was an inauguration of the new king. Even though the new king was operating there, they, did, they, they grieved for the previous king for a year until they had the celebration inaugurating the new king. So this was a time of grieving and mourning the death of a great king. I have I have breaking news for you. The Lord is the one sitting upon the throne. Where we've voted for a president, but I have I have news. The Lord is still sitting on the throne and he is high and lifted up. Kings change, presidents change, senates change, Congress, Supreme Court justices change. But the one that's sitting upon the throne that controls everything never changes. He is ruling and he is high and lifted up. And it's interesting that Isaiah, you notice that it says L, capital L, O R D, not capital O, capital R, capital D. This is speaking of Lord as in the sense of the sovereign one. Sovereign in the sense of the king, the ruler. King Uzziah died, but there's still a king. There's still a sovereign sitting upon the throne in the temple. That has not changed. That is significant in this verse. That's the picture that Isaiah is is getting from God. Okay, you're mourning that Uzziah died, but here I am. I'm sitting on the throne I'm here and I'm high and lifted up. And he's so high and lifted up that just the train of his garment fills the temple. Verse 2, above it stood the seraphims, above the, the, the throne. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. And with twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. So here is a sinless seraphim never has witnessed, even witnessed sin in his life. He's just there in the presence of God at the throne. Uh, And this God is so much more holy than these seraphims that they have to have, they were created with wings to cover their feet and with wings to cover their face. It's it's incredible to think about these sinless angels were so far below the one that was sitting on the throne. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. So you're familiar in the New Testament where Jesus says, Verily, verily. Okay, this is a Hebrew. This is a Hebrew statement. It's saying the same thing twice in order to place a strong emphasis on it. When Jesus was speaking there in Aramaic, he would have been saying, "Amin, amin, I say unto you." 
So he's repeating it to say, this is extremely truthful, what I'm telling you. So here it's saying, holy, holy, but it doesn't stop there. It adds a third holy. Why? Because it's speaking of infinite holiness. Holiness so far, so above, so beyond our comprehension that we have no possibility of grasping it. And the whole earth is full of His glory. Verse 4, And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. So just this seraphim is crying out, and it's causing an earthquake there in the temple. The posts and the doors are shaking, and then the house fills up with smoke. Then we turn to Isaiah. Here he is, the prophet ordained of God to bring forth these incredible prophecies, 66 chapters. Really, if, uh, many, many people say it really encompasses most of, most of the Bible. It gives a picture of the whole Bible from creation, to, from Genesis to Revelation. Um, the early church fathers called it the fifth gospel because the gospel was so clearly seen. Christ is so clearly seen in the book of Isaiah. The most holy man in the nation of Israel. The most separated man. The one who God took and chose and sent forth and said, You're my vessel. I am going to veil myself inside of you to reveal myself out to others. Isaiah has already been called at this point in time. He's already started his ministry. He's already prophesied. And this is Isaiah, verse 5. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. (laughs) Think about this for a second. Woe unto me. This is is a passionate cry of utter despair. That is what woe, woe is me speaks of. It's not just woe is me. It's he cried out from the depth of his soul. I'm in complete despair. For I am undone. The word undone speaks of being ruined. But it means more than merely being ruined, it connotes that you've disintegrated. Think about that for a second. You know the saying where people say, this person has really got it together? Well, this is the opposite of that. Isaiah is saying, woe is me. I'm disintegrated. I'm fallen in pieces. I'm destroyed. In a single moment in the presence of Almighty God, This is what Isaiah sees in himself. He he cries out in despair of himself. He cries out in recognition of the holiness of the one that he's standing in and the sinfulness that he represents in that presence. What is his statement? I dwell, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. The prophet of God 
recognizing himself, his state, in God's presence. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me. It doesn't, God doesn't leave him there. He says, yes, you've recognized your state in my presence. And I want to stop and talk about that for a second. Hearing the gospel, a person does not really understand the gospel and their need to repent until they come to this place that Isaiah came to. In recognition of my utter sinfulness, my utter despair in the presence of God, I have nothing that I can bring to Him. Even my best that I bring to Him, He calls it filthy rags in His sight. And I won't even tell you what that means. Just go look up the Scripture and click on the Strong's Concordance and you'll be shocked what that means, filthy rags. This is our state in the presence of God. And if we don't recognize that, we're never really repenting. We have to see and understand that we're utterly lost and desperately wicked sinners in His sight. And we have to have this kind of experience with God. It's not just a Pentecostal dancing down the aisles that we want to have. Sure, we want to have that. But we need to come to His presence like this, such an awe. We think about how Brother Branham would describe it. And he said, I felt like a hunted animal. Well, I think that's a perfect description of what Isaiah experienced. Feeling as a hunted animal. Even William Branham, the prophet washed in the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost, still when the angel of the Lord would come to him, he said, I feel such awe that I feel like a hunted animal. Isaiah was the same. No, they didn't have the new covenant. He didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But he was still a prophet called, set apart, anointed. And this is what he recognized himself as in the presence of God. But God doesn't leave it there. His grace is sufficient, isn't it? Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongues from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. It's incredible. This, this, those verses always amaze me when I see that. He, he, his, Isaiah's sense of integrity, his sense of spirituality was annihilated when he came into the presence of God. I don't know how, I don't know how to emphasize that to us that, so that we can really grasp what is being said. For me personally, it had to come by an experience that I have had with the Lord. And you need to have that same experience and see and identify that in Scripture where you recognize the awesomeness, the grandeur, the infinite holiness of this God that created you, that loves you. But we can't, we can't just take one of the attributes of God 
and emphasize upon that. We have to see the whole picture. And without seeing God's holiness to start, His love and His grace and His mercy are really meaningless. And that's what we've come to in our Americanism version of Christianity is that God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love, and we have a bunch of sloppy, wicked, hearted, sinful people that are trying to worship God, but they're not even worshiping God. The prophet says they're actually worshiping the devil because they don't even know who God is. They're completely out of balance. I want to look again at a few quotes from Brother Branham here. 1950 in the sermon Moses, he said, When I made that remark a while ago about education, I wasn't trying to take crutches for my ignorance. What I'm trying to say that it doesn't take education to know God. It takes a submissive heart to know God. In the sermon Faith by Experience in 1958, he says, Now Saul found out that his ecclesiastical vest didn't fit a man of God. It just don't work. You don't need to know theology. You need a little neology to know God. And then in the 70th week of Daniel in 61, He says, now we may not be educated, we may not be highfalutin people and things like that. We may not be dignitaries, but we do know God. We know Him because there's a Holy Spirit, see, and it compares with word by word through the Scripture. Then we know that it's true, we're living in the last days. And in the sermon, putting on the whole armor of God in 62, he says, you might have enough degrees to plaster that wall with them and still not know God, see, You know God by faith, nothing else. How by faith? What? Faith in His Word. That's the only way He recognizes faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. That's how it comes, by hearing the Word of God. So we know God as He reveals His Word to us personally. It's not knowing God ethereally through some unscriptural experience. God deals with us based upon the Scriptures. And we know Him as He supernaturally reveals Himself to us personally via the Word. People will talk about and have all kinds of grand experiences. But if it doesn't compare with the Word, it needs to be thrown in the trash can. And they need to pray to get that thing, that spirit off of them. It's got to be word by word and compare with the Scriptures as the prophet said. How do we make this approach to knowing God? So first thing is, as a natural human being, you're incapable of knowing God. Paul proves that. Just read through Romans 1 through 3. You can, you can refer to that. Human beings are incapable of knowing God. He's put everything in front of us. We, as an, in our natural state, do not And cannot know Him. Romans 3.11 says, There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. That settles it. None of us understand in our own human flesh, in our own human birth. It takes a new birth for us to see the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness unto him. Not only does he not receive it, he counts the things of God as absolutely foolish, as ignorant and stupid. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Knowing God is not merely a natural thing. It's not a human uh, achievement. It is God coming to us and revealing himself to us personally. Always based upon his word. But it's God approaching us. We don't seek God. God seeks us. No man sought God at any time. And Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father draws him first. But for those of us who are believers, who have received the Holy Ghost, we have something inside of us that's causing us to want to know him more and more and more and more and more and more. But we have to remember, knowing God is a spiritual affair, not a natural one. It's not a matter of merely studying it has to go way beyond that. Yes, it's studying, but there is, it has to be God directing that and revealing himself through that. Let's talk about that a little bit more. What is the motive of your heart? Why do you want to know God more? You say, well, isn't it just pure in itself to want to know God more? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Are you seeking knowledge for the sake of knowledge itself? Are you seeking knowledge because you want to be able to answer people's questions and seem knowledgeable and smart? You don't want to feel stupid around other Christians? Or do you want to know God because you love Him and it's in your heart to seek Him? Because 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 The last part of the verse says, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity, love, edifies. And then the next verse says, And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. Theological knowledge sought for the sake of the knowledge itself goes rotten on you. The the greatness of the knowledge of this subject, of this book, is such a high thing. And seeking to know this book and the author of it through this book itself, just for the sake of the knowledge, is something that's bound to bring us to a place of being hard and proud. It will cause us to look down on others because their lack of knowledge of it, or their lack of seeking after it. J.I. Packer uh, writes this, To be preoccupied with getting theological knowledge as an end in itself, to approach Bible study with no higher motive than a desire to know all the answers, is the direct route to a state of self-satisfied self-deception. We need to guard our hearts against such an attitude and to pray to be kept from it. As we saw earlier, there can be no spiritual health without doctrinal knowledge. But it's equally true that there can be no spiritual health with it 
if it is sought for the wrong purpose and valued by the wrong standard. In this way, doctrinal study really can become a danger to spiritual life. And we today, no less than the Corinthians of old, need to be on our guard here. You know, sometimes you can look at this and say, well, if I'm seeking after the Word, it has to take me in the right direction. Well, I just want to think about this for a second. How many preachers in the message fuss and argue with each other and draw swords because there's differences about doctrine and treat each other terribly and, and treat each other with rudeness and treat pe- believers in the church if they, they're like, well, I'm not sure about that. I have, a, I, I have a question about that. And they're like, I'm drawing my sword out and I'm ready to, I'm ready to fight. Knowing the mysteries in and of itself is not enough. It's knowing the one who reveals the mysteries and having, lo- having love. If you, we can know all mysteries, but without love, we're nothing. We haven't even started yet. And so we've, you've, the message and the, uh, I want to say the message, message preachers have taken the message and used it as a club to beat one another over the head with it. And, and they can answer every question and they can just shut you down immediately. Is that what kind of knowledge we're seeking after? Is that the approach we want to take? You know, people, there's many stories you know, and, and you know of where people have been in the message for 40 years and they preached it and by all accounts very sound doctrinally. And now all of a sudden they're fighting against it and they don't believe it anymore and they, they hate it. So bringing sound doctrine isn't necessarily everything that we need to do. We have to know Him and introduce people to knowing Him. Not just being looking the part of being messagey and, and having the right doctrine or being associated with the right pastor or the right group. No, that's not it. It's knowing Him. Brother Branham says this in confirmation of the commission in 1962. He said, well, you just don't know your Bible. Some theologian said this to him. He said, well, that may be so, but I know the author real well. I said, that's it. You know, it doesn't say to know his book, but to know him is life. See, Satan knows his word, but to know him, the author... Of the word, of course, that isn't. Brother Branham isn't endorsing scriptural ignorance. He's merely responding to someone who's charging him with not knowing the Bible. He did know the Bible, but he was charged. He was being accused of not knowing the Bible. He humbly said, "Okay, maybe I don't, but I know the author real well." And that's something that is that's an important distinction to make. Knowing God versus knowing about God. Because the Bible teaches us about God, and you can study it, but never be born again. And you can know and have huge portions memorized, and you can know every single Greek text and Hebrew text and be a foremost scholar on all things Bible, but that does not mean you know God. That just means you know about God. 
if before I met you, Brother Barry, I knew about you. I, 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 <laughs> I, knew, I, I, I read about your missions reports and maybe I saw a video, but that didn't, I wasn't introduced to you yet. When I came here and I shook your hand and we talked together, now I know, Brother Barry, you have to know God personally, not just know facts about Him. Facts about Him, it's going to go rotten. It's going to produce pride. It's going to produce, I'm above everybody else. What's wrong with you people? No, that's not what God wants from you. He wants you to know Him personally. And He wants to lead you through this book so that you really do know who He is. And let's, let's remember that distinction. A person can know a lot about God without knowing God. A person can know a lot about godliness without knowing God. A little knowing of God is worth much more than a great deal of knowledge about God. And again, we're not trying to endorse ignorance of scriptures or the message, but there's a great difference in the approach that we take to it. It has to go from knowledge about to knowing Him personally. How does it go from about knowledge about to knowledge of. Now, I'm, I want to talk about this in the sense of believers. Of course, we understand it takes the new birth to start this whole process. You're never going to get anywhere without receiving the Spirit of God into your heart and being changed and transformed by Him and Him leading your life. But it's still, even as a born-again person, can be a danger that you seek God and know about God instead of knowing Him. Now, thank the Lord. He's promised to keep you and He's going to correct you from just knowing about Him and He's going to teach you to know Him personally. But how does it go from knowledge about to knowledge of? Well, the Scripture is, is full of that. We could go on and on and on and on about that. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Taking that word and, and hiding it in you to give you an experience to know how to walk with the Lord. This isn't just about, what well, I hid your word in my heart so I can answer the critics. I hid your word in my heart so that I wouldn't sin against you. There's a love relationship there. And I want to know the word so that I won't sin against you. Because I love you. I want to walk with you. I want to walk in truth and light. I don't want to walk in sin, so I need to know Him. Psalm 119, 148. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in Thy Word. So to, to, to muse, to meditate upon, to study, to ponder, to talk, to sing, to speak, to consider, to think about. It's not just reading and getting a bunch of knowledge, but it's really taking that word and chew on it a little bit. Let it digest. Give it some time. Think about Him through His Word. Psalm 1, verse 2, But His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. So again, taking that time to make that word, and more than that, who is the word? Is the word just letters on a, on a book? 
The Word is a person. Your delight is in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord is an expression of the nature of God. The expression of the nature of God is God Himself. So meditate on Him. Consider Him. Know Him. Think about Him constantly. Psalm 63, 1-6 says, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh longs for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That is quite a desire for God. That's way beyond, I'm just doing my duty. This is my delight. This is something that I rejoice and have joy in. It's not, well, i got to get up and read my Bible and pray today. It's rejoicing. I have the opportunity to raise up and to read the Bible and to know the Lord and to talk to Him and, and pour my heart to Him and, and stop and listen and for His voice to me personally. That's, what, that's the kind of dynamic relationship David's talking about, a supernatural uh, relationship. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. This is this is a foundation, a heart that is way way beyond. I have to do this. Your loving kindness is better than life. Do you consider that God's love is better than this human life that you're living? My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. Will I live? I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember me thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. That is way beyond just knowing about God, knowing facts, knowing the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. and Sure, we should know those things. We should memorize those things. Absolutely. We should hide it in our heart because we want to know Him. Because we love Him. Because He is our delight. Because we seek after Him like someone that's stranded in a desert without any water. And so, um, we're going to get in and start to look at a few of the attributes of God. Um, I just love to speak about the greatness of God. I love to speak about who He is. However, it's heavy. It's, it's a subject that weighs, weighs on my heart and weighs on my mind. And when I bring it forth, I always want to start with that in mind because this isn't just about having knowledge about who God is. It's about knowing Him. But we have to have some of these, an understanding of his dealings, of who he is, of his characteristics. Because if you have a false characteristic of who God is, you're not really knowing God. And we can have false concepts about God when we don't really search the scriptures. And sometimes the troubles in our life, the trials or the misunderstandings that we have uh, cause us to not really... Uh, uh, be able to see God for the greatness of who He is. He is the center of everything. He should be our focus, our delight, our main theme of absolutely 
everything. And I, I really feel for all of us in our devotions, it's really important for us to lift our hearts up to the majestic glory and holiness of God. Really to spend time meditating upon the Word in that. Um, looking at looking at God's um, nature or essence. Um, I look at three different things here. Um, nature or essence kind of really is closely related to his attributes, but his attributes really flow out of his nature or his essence. First um, John 4.16 and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. God is love. It, God does not merely have love as one of his attributes. God, in his nature, is love. That's who he is. 1 John 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. That's who he is. Light speaks of manifestation. Paul says that whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So God is that light. He, is, he has to be he, want, he needs to be manifested. He needs to display himself. He needs to reveal himself. Uh, light speaks of the fact that he manifests holiness, that he is pure, that he is good. And you and I, we only derive that light from him. That holiness, that purity, that goodness comes from him. We have none in ourselves. But when his spirit comes into us, that's when we receive holiness, purity, goodness. It's also speaking of God's wrath when we look at light. Hebrews 12:29, for our God is a consuming fire. Because he is holy, it leads directly to the truth that he is full of righteous wrath. John 4:24 says God is a spirit. If you notice in your King James Version, it'll have that word A as italics. That's because it's added there for, by the translators to get a better understanding of the verse. It really is, says God is spirit. So from this verse, we understand God's not limited to a body like you and I are. He's not limited to being in one particular place. Brother Branham says this in The Mighty Conqueror, The place cannot be too humble, too little for you to come, and yet you fill all space and time. Sure. Jeremiah 23, verse 24, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, Do not I fill heaven and earth? Saith the Lord, Second Chronicles 6.18 says, But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built. God is spirit. That's his nature and essence. Not that he is a spirit, 
In other words, not that he can be compared to other beings. God is spirit. He covers all space and time. The heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot contain him. Paul says, for in him we live and move and have our being. And of course we understand that the Logos, just before creation, the Logos went out of God. That became the, the very theophany of God. That's that, how God limited himself so that he could reveal himself to his creation. But God in himself cannot be seen. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. So let's take a little time to reflect on the attributes of God. Here's a starting list um, of the attributes of God. And um, I'll just go through them and then start to look at the scriptures a little bit here. Our time is limited. Don't want to wear you out. So uh, the self-existence or the aloneness or the uniqueness of God the counsels of God, the knowledge of God, the supremacy of God, the sovereignty of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God, the power of God, the faithfulness of God, the jealousy of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the wrath of God, the goodness of God. And the last one I have is the eternal revealing of God. He's so great. He's so Amazing that even throughout all eternity we'll be learning more and more about him. So start start with the foundation or the loneliness or the uniqueness of God. Genesis one one starts saying, In the beginning, Elohim. In eternity God dwelt alone. In fact we know that he wasn't even God yet in our English word. It, it God means an object of worship. There's no one to worship him yet. He was just the eternal one. So in the beginning, Elohim. Now if you look at that word and break it down a little bit, break it apart, you have two words. You have El, which means the strong one, and Ohim in Hebrew, which means to swear or to bind by an oath. In other words, the strong one bound by an oath is the first one who appears in the Bible. There he is. He's alone, dwelling alone, and he's already the strong one bound by an oath. He's already bound by his word. He already has his promises. He already has everything set forth for you and me. Not only did God dwell alone before time, but he's alone in excellency. Romans 11:34. Through 36, for who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. Who's first given to God? Who's loaned God something? And then God has to pay him back for that. No one. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. God is not in need of anything that you and I could give. Everything belongs to Him in the first place. And there's nothing that we could add to Him or take away from Him. God is self-sufficient. There's no other being in the world that's self-sufficient. 
We all derive our life and everything from Him. Whether we believe it or not, whether we think about it or not, we all derive our life from Him. The sinner and the saint both do. And there's nothing that we do that takes away from Him. And there's nothing that we do that adds to Him. God is self-sufficient. That's why we can trust Him. That's why we can rely on Him. That's why we can believe that He can meet all of our needs. If God needed something from us, well, how can we look to Him to supply everything, to be our all in all, to be our everything? He is sufficient in Himself for His people. There's no word of blasphemy that could take anything away from God in His character and essential being. And there's no amount of faith that we could put in Him that would add to His essential being and character. Sure, God is glorified or dishonored by us, but that doesn't take any away, anything away from Him or add anything to Him. The worst blasphemy in the, that's ever been uttered in the, in, the, in the world never had any impact on Him. It didn't change Him. It, it, it didn't minimize him. No. To, to blaspheme is literally to fall upon an impenetrable rock. It can only crush you. You cannot crush it. To glorify him, to believe him, is simply to recognize the ultimate reality, which is him. Isaiah 40, 21 through 23. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Well, that wasn't very nice. He just called us bugs. <laughs> God sits above, upon the circle of the earth. So he's saying that the earth is just a chair for him. It's just a little, just a little chair like this. Sits down upon it. And the people that are dwelling upon the earth, they're just little bugs. Wow. He said, and it says that stretches out the heavens as a curtain. So just a little curtain over the window. The heavens for him is just a little curtain. And, it, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. That brings the princes to nothing, and he makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Even in Isaiah 66, it says, Heaven is his throne, his seat, and the earth is his footstool. Just, we roll over these words so quickly. Oh, yeah, heaven's his throne, earth's his footstool. Yeah, yeah. Think about that statement for a second. Just imagine how big. I mean, the the I don't, I don't. I'm not a good scientist, and I have no memory for numbers really. But we all understand. You've probably seen that video that goes out and it shows just Earth, and then it shows the Sun, and then it shows the different stars, and then it compares the Earth to those stars. Well, he's saying the universe is where I sit. So he's, he's that big that the universe is just a chair and the earth 
is just a footstool for him. It's really incredible. You know, it, when we understand just how great and vast and big our God is, it makes our problems and our stress seem really small, doesn't it? God knows. God knows. He sees all of that. And He's greater than all of that. Just have to trust Him. Those that the earth steams as great and powerful, it says He makes them nothing. He makes them vanity. Vanity means just completely useless. They're nothing. They're just pawns in His hand for Him to use. Presidents, kings, we get so emotionally attached to our candidate. It's kind of like a, I see it sometimes as like football teams. You know, some people get really emotionally tied into football teams. Other people get emotionally tied into politicians. And our politician's better, and he's the greatest one. They're both sinners, and they, they're both in the hands of God. And whoever comes to power for a, for a child of God, what does it matter? I, I was thinking about this the, I said, the other day, and I said this. Uh, when Obama was president, God fed me. God provided me with clothes. He provided me a place to live. He gave me all good things. And under Trump, he did the same. And if Biden gets in, he'll continue to do the same because God doesn't change. And it does not limited by who the president is. It's all for God to accomplish a purpose. We might want things a certain way, and we might vote a certain way. That's fine. I'm not going to de-Christianize anyone. But I like what Brother Brandon said. I, I cast my vote for Jesus Christ. He said, I voted once. I voted for Jesus Christ, and I'm sure that he'll never fail. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry, but sorry for saying, going into that. Second Samuel 7:22 Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any god beside thee according to all that we have heard with our ears. There's none like God. There's none like him in excellency and power in majesty. As as often as we see the work of the devil on this earth and begin to talk about the evils and the corruption of our nation, it's just it's nothing. It's a blip on this little piece of time that we're on. It's a footnote in history. What's happening right now, it's a foot, small footnote in history of the great eternal God that never did begin, never will end. And guess what? He gave that life to you. God is holy. Holy means set apart. It's not just a little bit holy. God is absolutely and infinitely holy. I just want to comment back. There's this thing that keeps bothering me in my mind when I was talking about the uniqueness or the aloneness of God. Um, God is not in need. I said that. God is not in need of anything we can give. He's not, I want to put it this way, and I want, you to, I want to think about it for a second. 
God is not in need, really, of me. You say, well, God has a purpose for you. God doesn't really need me or you. God can make an, uh, another me or you. God can, from these stones, raise up children to Abraham. He doesn't need us in that sense. And yet, we understand, God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And God, it was, it's in God to manifest himself. And so, if he's going to manifest himself, he has to have a family to manifest himself too. But that, that doesn't mean that God was incomplete without you. You are a part of him. That's why, that's why we're looking at this. The reality is, God doesn't need you and me. But the reality is, you're a part of him. And he's manifesting himself to his family and through his family. And so I, I feel like that, that distinguishment is important in the sense that we understand what it really means that God is self-sufficient. Of course, you're, you could never not be you, and you could never not be a son or a daughter of God. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm, what I'm saying is, I mean, look at yourself in comparison to God. God doesn't need, need you to still be God. He'll always be God, and yet you're a part of him. You know, it's, it, we have to understand he's, self, he's self-sufficient. He's absolutely self-sufficient. And there's no other being in the world that's self-sufficient. We derive our life from him. And in order for us to be completely satisfied in Christ, we have to realize he is completely satisfied in himself. If he wasn't satisfied in himself, you know, it says the blessed God in the New Testament. It literally means the happy God. God is happy in himself. He rejoices in himself. And he wants us to rejoice and join in in that and rejoice in him. He he wants you to be happy in him. Because he is happy in himself, you can be happy in him. If, if God were not happy in himself, he would actually be committing idolatry. <laughs> that makes no, that might, might seem strange to you. But God is the, the, the most infinitely satisfying being beyond this universe. And he is the one that can satisfy every single need that you have. And so he is sufficient in himself to meet every one of those needs. And he needs his body on this earth to accomplish his purpose. So, you know, we, we, we have to keep those things in balance. That's a balance thing that you have to keep there because if you'll, you'll, you'll miss it. If you put, uh, you know, it's like what the New Age people do, then they make. Human beings, God. Well, God is uh, changing us and transforming us that, so that we're an exact expression 
of Him, but we're not the eternal God. We're a part of the eternal God. Eternal God. You know, we don't want to get mixed up in that. So, looking at the holiness of God, I'm going to bring it to a close. Um, God is infinite in holiness. Holiness means being set apart. So He's totally, utterly, completely different and other from you and me. Revelations 15, verse 4, Who shall not fear Thee, O Lord, and glorify Thy name? For Thou only art holy. He's He's the only one that's holy. Not you and me. Him. We receive, I said that before, we receive holiness when He comes and lives and dwells within us. Exodus 11:15 Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Habakkuk 1:13 Thou art pure, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Can I just go 5 minutes further? We'll look at the... I didn't hear any amen from Brother Barry back there. <laughs> All right. So I'll have some accountability. Musicians, would you come? <laughs> the counsels or the decrees of God. I wanted to fit, just finish with this portion. The, the, the decree or the counsels of God speaks of God's plan or purpose that He's ordained to accomplish. Acts 15, verse 18 says, Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. So everything that God was going to do in this space we call time, God knew it before the creation. It goes even further than that. Ephesians 3.11 says, According to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ. The purpose was eternal. It never changed. It was always the same Purpose. Ephesians 1.11 In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who works all things after of the counsel of His own will. God's purpose is eternal. It has no beginning and no ending. It doesn't change. God's decree or counsel is predetermined. God works everything after the counsel of His own will. God does what is pleasing to Him. His will is free. His purposes cannot be changed or thwarted. I love this quote from the Church Ages book in uh, chapter 4. Brother Branham writes this, The eternal thoughts of God. Let me ask you, are the thoughts of God eternal? If you can see this, you will see many things. I feel like that's a very important sentence. I'm going to repeat it. If you can see this, you will see many things. God is unchangeable in both essence and behavior. We have studied that and proven that already. God is infinite in His abilities, so therefore He as God must be omniscient. If He's omniscient, then He's not now learning, nor is He taking counsel even with Himself. Nor is he at any time adding to his knowledge. If he can add to his knowledge, then he's not omniscient. The best we could say is that sometime he will be. But that is not scriptural. He is omniscient. He has never 
had a new thought about anything because all his thoughts he has always had and always will have and knows the end from the beginning because he is God. Thus, the thoughts of God are eternal. They are real. They're not simply like a man with the blueprint he has drawn up and which one day will be translated into substance and form, but they are already real and eternal and a part of God. I think that's one of the most beautiful quotes in all of the Church Ages book. It is so incredible. Um, just look that up. Look that quote up and, and just read that again. I'm gonna, I'll just give you a little uh, uh, portion to search by so that you can look it up because I feel like it's such a critical thing for knowing who God is and overcoming in this hour. Thus the thoughts of God are eternal. They are real. If you go from that, you'll be able to find the quotes. God's counsels are absolute. They're unconditional. He declares the end from the beginning, from ancient times. God's purpose is immutable, and it's invincible. Uh, Immutable means incapable of change. Invincible means they cannot be conquered or overcome. Isn't that a wonderful comfort that he that started the work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will do it. He started it, and God doesn't leave things halfway. He will absolutely finish it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I pray that these words spoken were a, a comfort and a challenge for us to know you more. That's the desire that I have in my heart, Lord. I want to to know you more. As the song says, deep within my soul, I want to know you. Lord, and we, we understand that this deceiving hour would try to knock us off this place of being on fire for you. That's the age we're living in. It's a lukewarm age foot halfway in and halfway out. Lord, let us let us not be in that condition. Light our hearts on fire. Give us a passion, a rejoicing. Lord, a, a, a increased fire for you, Lord. Just ignite us, Father, that we would know you more. Lord, teach us and guide us and correct us in these things of your word and of your light and of your love, and of your spirit. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll praise the Lord. Let's stand on our feet tonight. I will praise the Lord. Keep it up, I think it is. Ah, uh, <clears throat> Just a little bit there, sister, if you will. I will pray.
podcast that was on there and I listened to just three or four minutes of it I only had three or four minutes and I listened to it and this rabbi was just simply saying this that to a Jew uh, God's love God's mercy God's mercy the knowledge of God all of those different things and the attributes of God he said 
Those are things that we learn. Those are things that we understand and we experience. But he said what God's looking for, to a Jew, what God's looking for is the response. The response to knowing God. When God forgives us, he wants to see a certain response. When God uh, answers prayer, he wants to see a certain response. Uh, when God does a miracle, he wants to see a, a response. In other words, uh, he, he just doesn't do things just, you know, just so that we'd have the knowledge of it. He wants us to respond in a certain way. So, for instance, when Abel had a revelation in the Garden of Eden that it was blood, and he went and offered a sacrifice, it was the response to the revelation that, that pleased God. God got really excited about Abel. Brother Branham said he did. Remember, Brother Branham st- said that God stood back and said, He's got it! He's got it! Abel's got it! Because it was Abel's response to the revelation that really in, in, in was, uh, got God excited. So, I, we're singing this. When Mary, when Mary was given the understanding that she was going to bring forth the Christ child, and she responded, be it unto me according to my, thy word. Just like Hattie Wright, that's nothing but the truth. It's the response that gets God excited. And I believe this, that if, if in the way that God has revealed himself in this last day, when we respond the right way and we act accordingly, let me tell you, God gets really excited about that. Because he doesn't change, right? He's the same. This is a great big topic. It's, it's bigger than a Wednesday night, that's for sure. Let's sing it again. Be it unto me according to your word, according to your promises, I can stand secure. sets me free according to your word O Lord be it unto me Heavenly Father we thank you for this opportunity we've had tonight just to gather around the tree of life we realize Lord that we are a part of a very small a very select and a very privileged group to have a revelation of you so complete as what's been given to us in this last day. Every other age, they knew in part. They prophesied in part. They looked through a glass darkly. They never had the full picture, the full revealing of your personhood like we have had in the last day. There's so many things, Lord, we're privileged to see. Father, may we respond accordingly. May we respond in joy. May we respond in worship. May we respond, Lord, in a way of gratefulness for all you have done for us. We want to give thanks, Lord, for who you are and who you are to us. May, Lord, you just bless the people now. Lord, there are many needs that have been represented and spoken about tonight. Father, we pray that you would bless Brother Jason, his wife and family as they travel. Bless them in their ministry and the work they're doing for you. Guide them and protect them, Lord, I pray. And for our assembly here, Lord, we ask that you would just be gracious. Give us always the mind of Christ and guide us in your will. We want to say we love you, Lord, and thank you so much. And, Lord, be it unto us according to your word. And we'll give you thanks and praise in Jesus Christ's lovely name. Amen. And amen. And amen. 
God bless you, Brother Jason. We appreciate you being here tonight. And uh, Sister, God bless you. We certainly appreciate you being here tonight with us and uh, each and every one of you. May the Lord uh, go with you through the balance of our week until we meet again on the weekend. Let's sing that little chorus, I Feel Like Going On. Leave it in the key of F there, I think it is. May God bless you. Sing this as you go. I feel like going on. I feel like going on. Try. I feel